Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. We're going to read until verse 31. Real quickly though, I want to point out that this is the first persecution of the church. This is the first recorded persecution of the church. So I want you to pay attention to the persecution and then the response. And then we're going to go back and divvy it all up. But we're just going to read through to verse 31 and then break it down. Ready? Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Recognize the growth again. Uh, And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a a stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when, they, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had, been, they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these, to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own uh, companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, your God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord... Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Really, we're going to do one and two together. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple and Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed by that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Remember the last week's account when uh, the lame man is healed and uh, Peter gives his sermon? 
So it's very likely because priests would be breaking down into lots and they would they would uh, basically have a week of service uh, pretty much once a year. And that service would vary, but it would be at the temple. So it's very likely that some of the priests are doing their deal, doing their service at at the temple. And they overhear Peter giving the sermon, which in one of them, he's basically saying, you know, I know you did it in ignorance, but you handed them over. You and your rulers handed them over to be crucified. And so they're hearing not only uh, the, the, the witness of his resurrection, but they're hearing them getting thrown under the bus. And so these, these priests likely went and found uh, the, the, the temple guard. He's basically the commander of the police force of that time. And he would, uh, he would um, be a part of a very prominent priestly family. Um, but that's, that's who is coming to get. And then either somebody went and told the Sadducees that they're preaching. Because remember, there were, there were two groups of basic leaders in that time, some of which are priests, some of which weren't. But there were the Pharisees, which everybody knows, and there were the Sadducees. Same thing as Pharisees, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. Remember that? I don't know if you remember that. But that's, that's what's going on here. So they either went to the Sadducees, found them, and said, hey, we got some fellas talking about the resurrection. What do you want to do? Or they just happened to overhear the chief or the priest going and tell the commander. And they're like, wait, what, what did they say about the resurrection? And then they're coming. So the, the, these people are taking these men into custody one, because they're speaking against the rulers, but also because they're preaching, uh, they're, they're speaking the, uh, the resurrection, they're teaching about the resurrection, and they're professing the, the resurrection of Christ. And that's a big problem with the Sadducees. So that's who's uh, leading them. But, uh, and you'll notice uh, in verse 3, uh, I'm not supposed to do that anymore. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Uh, so it was it was already after the evening sacrifices. Remember, I told you there would be they would have two sacrifices, one in the morning, one in the evening, and they were going to the hour of prayer. Remember when they when they find the, when they found this lame man, they were going to the hour of prayer just before the evening sacrifice. That must have all happened, and and then his his uh, Peter's sermon, and then they're arresting them. And now you know it's too late for the Sanhedrin for the council to meet and you know and and to judge them kind of thing. So. They, they got to be taken into custody, and that's, that's more logistics than, than anything else. Um, in verse 4, uh, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So remember, we had 120, and then we, that grew at the day of Pentecost to 3,000, and now it's to 5,000. And one thing I don't think I've uh, mentioned is these are just men. They do that on purpose. When the when Christ feeds the five thousand, the number is the number of men, and the reason is because uh, men have a different number of uh, children in their family. But basically, it was assumed it was it was natural that if the man believes, his whole household believes. So it wasn't like a, a you know a mis- misogynistic thing. It's just again kind of logistics. So we have five thousand men now which means we really have 5,000 families. So a lot more people than just 5,000. A lot more. Probably closer to 20,000 at least. And these are Jews, so they're popping them out like crazy. You know? <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, all right, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well, golly, as, well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many were uh, of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Um, so... This 
is basically part of the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin would be 70 uh, elders and leaders, one of which would have been Nicodemus. Uh, another one would be uh, Gamaliel, who we'll look at, but he, he taught Saul, who later becomes Paul, another uh, great, really good leader um, of Israel. But that, that's who's here. And so uh, it's the, the rulers, so various rulers, again, Sadducees, uh, Pharisees, elders, again, same thing. Scribes were really uh, the modern-day theologians of the time. They knew their Bible. They knew their Bible, and they would uh, argue against Christ as, as well, really to find some way to judge him, to find some way to persecute him, to, to uh, kill him, really. Um, so, And then we see uh, that Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, that, those are all those are all uh, individuals of the family of the high priest. Now, Annas wasn't technically the high priest. Uh, Caiaphas actually was. Annas was, I know you, but it's important to know. Uh, Annas was actually deposed by the Romans in the year 15. So right now, Caiaphas is actually the acting, basically he's the entitled, he's got, he has the actual title of high priest, but the high priest was, was supposed to serve for all their life. So it's likely that Jews didn't you know they just ignored um that you know christ or that uh, An annas was deposed of his position and just kept on looking at him like the high priest and he basically was you know behind the scenes anyway whatever caiaphas was going to be doing he's doing because annas is telling him to do it uh john uh, john is probably jonathan um what's his name uh so Jonathan was one of a name of one of his sons as well, and he, he became high priest in 36. Or Jonathan uh, Bay Zakai, uh, who also became who became the president of the great synagogue after uh, the fall of Jerusalem. Nothing is known about uh, Alexander. And we go to verse seven. And when they had set them in the midst, and uh, they asked, "By what power or by what name have you done this?" We're going to see the name of Jesus is talked about all over this book all over this book uh and i have all sorts of references through here and i'll send this if you'd like uh, but we saw one in in chapter tw uh, uh, two verse 21 and, and 38 we see it here it's going to be spoken up again in this chapter but that's the name of jesus is spoken throughout and remember last week it was the it was the faith in jesus it was the name of jesus who remember uh the lame man is asking for alms and peter says Silver and gold, we don't, we don't have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then later, he's, he's telling everybody that faith in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. So it's the faith in the name of Jesus who made this man well. And now it's the name of Jesus that is the cause of their persecution. Okay? That's, that's very important to recognize here. Verse 8. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers uh, of the people and elders of Israel. This filling of the Spirit is also all over the place. Uh, we saw it in the, the second chapter as well. Remember on the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit fills the entire house. Remember, it's the sound of like a mighty, mighty rushing wind. It fills the entire house. And everybody's filled with the Spirit. We'll see at the end of uh, this section, uh, at the, at, on verse 31, everybody is again filled with the Holy Spirit. And the whole building shakes. Uh, and we'll look at that here in a second. But, but this filling of the Spirit, um, again, started at Pentecost. Uh, it's actually in the first chapter of Luke as well. Remember, Luke is the same author as the book of Acts. 
And in the first chapter, the gospel according to Luke, when uh, the angel first comes to Zacharias, he tells him that John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when Mary comes and visits uh, Elizabeth, her cousin, remember, uh, the, the, John leaps in her womb, and then she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she prophesies and blesses Mary. And then later when, uh, when John is born and Zacharias, his tongue is loosed, he is filled with the Holy Spirit and then prophesies about John. It's, it's beautiful. But this filling and to be full of the Spirit is throughout, and I have different uh, texts uh, here for that as well. Oh, also, at the beginning of his fourth chapter, it says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit as he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So that's another time uh, we have that filling. Um, and let, let's remember, here's Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Remember, that's that remember the very beginning of this this series that's what we were looking into the transition from luke's gospel christ's ascension and sending his spirit filling uh, the church with his spirit and that doesn't happen without the complete work of christ that all started that evening with that babe in a manger that's where his incarnation his his, him coming in the flesh is what started, and then everything else had to be to be fulfilled. So without Christ, there are no apostles. Without his completed work, there's no testimony. Without what he has done, there's no spirit coming. Okay, So he's full of the spirit, but he's his ambassador, and it's because of what Christ has done that he is being filled with the spirit. That's the only way this happened. Verse... Um, 9 and 10. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Now, the word for examined is really, well, it's a anakrino uh, in the Greek, and it's really better rendered investigated or interrogated. So, they're interrogating these men. They're investigating these men because they healed a guy. <laughs> what a weird problem. And so, and that's what Peter's even uh, kind of alluding to. Uh, he says, if this day we are judged for a good deed, done, if we're being judged for a good deed, again, he's not coming out strong, but he's making the point. If we're here and you're interrogating us on, you know, this good deed we did, well, let me go ahead and answer. But he's saying, you know, if we're being judged for a good deed, what a ridiculous thing. <laughs> but fine, uh, it's the name of Jesus who made, whom God raised from the dead. Uh, by him, this man stands before you whole. So he, he talks about whom they crucified. He's, now, he's, now he's convicting. They're on trial. The, the apostles are on trial. And he's saying, whom you crucified. Now they're on trial. All right? Um, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by his name, this man stands before you whole. Raising Christ from the dead, raise this man. Verse 11, this is a stone which was rejected by you builders, uh, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now, the, we've mentioned uh, that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. That's actually from Psalm 118, it's the 118th uh, Psalm, verse 22, which says, The stone which the, real, the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, that, thus, Peter is showing the, its fulfillment. Christ is the chief cornerstone, that, and he even says, You builders rejected. Those people, you know, uh, the rulers, the Gentiles, and we'll later see the whole world really sent Christ to the cross. Um, 
And Christ actually himself quotes this verse in Matthew uh, chapter 21, verse 42. Um, or Peter makes clear that it is they who are the builders mentioned uh, who rejected Christ. All right, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, again, name, under heaven given among men uh, by which we must be saved. Um, so Peter first declares the absolute exclu exclusivity and the absolute necessity of salvation through Christ. There is no other name, uh, and, uh, uh, well, there, yeah, his name again. Uh, the term salvation is, is somewhat, it's, it's used differently throughout the scriptures. It can, be, it can be a deliverance from catastrophe. It can be a deliverance in a war, in a battle. It can be a deliverance from uh, illness. It can, be a deliver, you know, it can be a saving from all sorts of different things. Uh, but, and, and also, so we see that it's used in a lot of different senses. We also see, in the, especially in the Greek, it's used in many and almost all the different Greek tenses. So it's really, uh, in one way, uh, uh, in one sense, we are saved from the foundation of the world. Uh, we are being saved by the work of God in history. Uh, we are saved by being justified, so we are. Uh, we are being saved through sanctification, uh, and we will be saved, the, consum the consummation of our, our redemption that day uh, of Christ. Salvation covers, so salvation covers all of the past and all of the present and all of the future. Salvation is eternal. And it covers all, all of it. Uh, but ultimately, the most important thing to consider is that it's his. It's of him, by him, and therefore, it's his salvation. Yes, for his people. Yes, but a wondrous, glorious God we serve who has granted salvation for his people. But it's his, and for it's, it's for his purpose. All right, verse 13. Now, when they saw the uh, boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, men they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Remember, I told you, like, especially with the uh, Galileans, they were really simpletons. But these men are just fishermen. I mean, they're, they're, they're the brutes, you know. Uh, you know, they're, they just, they're not educated. They're not very well educated, and, that, that's, and that's what they're expecting. That's what these rulers are expecting. But, you know, uh, and perceive that they're un uneducated and untrained, they marvel. And then they realize they've been with Jesus, who was also untrained. Uh, and he always uh, astonished them with his knowledge and his wisdom and his insight and his, uh, and his exhaustive understanding of the scripture, greater than theirs. In fact, answering their misconceptions, their, their misunderstandings. Also notice that he, they, they uh, perceived that they were, un uh, but when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so it didn't, it, it's not saying he was arrogant. It's not saying Peter and John were bombastic or, or, or uh, anything but bold. They're, so again, when we witness to Christ, when we witness of Christ, we, we don't seek to offend, but we don't keep anything back. We must be bold for the, for the cause of Christ. We don't, again, we don't seek to tear down. We seek to lift up with our boldness and with the truth of Christ. But it's, boldness is essential. Uh, but just because we're going to see that again uh, towards the end. Verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So again, now remember the, what, when we first looked at apologetics, our first class of apologetic, remember the notitia? The ascensus and the fiducia, the notitia is the data and the information. The ascensus is that 
intellectual assent and you know agreeing with the data and, and what basically is being uh, said here and then the fiducia is the real abiding faith these men have all the notitia they have all the information and they can't help but agree that here's the healed man the healed man is right there they can't help but agree and we even later see that a miracle has been done we can't you know we have nothing to say against that that's real uh, but also notice the man who had been healed is standing with them this is why we don't quickly read through our bibles if he's standing with them that means he was arrested with them that means the evening of the day this lame man who was lame since his birth for over 40 years, the day he's healed, he's jumping around, he's praising God, and he's clinging on to these apostles. That very night, he's taken into custody. He's imprisoned. What did he do? What did he do? He's already being persecuted. It's not just the apostles. He's already being persecuted. However, on the other side of that, he probably, more likely than not, but he very likely shared a cell with Peter and John. Can you imagine the testimony that this lame man heard from the lips of Christ's primary ambassadors? I actually imagine him not being able to sleep that night at all. Not a wink, not a, not, not a second of sleep, not because of fear of the next day, not because of anxiety about being judged by these rulers, but he's just, he finds it marvelous. He finds it incredible that God saved me and this is who Christ is he just can't stop thinking about it I don't think he got any sleep that night but remember he's there he's there with them going through the same persecution going through the same trial verse 15 but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council they conferred among themselves uh, saying what shall we do then to, uh, to these men for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident uh, to all who, are, who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. There it is again. So, um, verse 15. So, again, having no adequate reason for reprisal or for judgment or anything, they send them out uh, to, to confer within themselves, recognize dishonesty and vice often begin in seclusion. That's what's happening here. They are seeking to find any... Any distortion by which to legitimize punishing these men. And they can't come up with one. Uh, but, you know, because again, having see, seeing the men, they can't. Uh, um, and they should have, especially coming from the apostles and, and coming to these rulers. I know there's, are y'all familiar with the uh, story of David and Bathsheba? Uh, okay, well. There's a day, there's a moment in time, King David sends out his army, and, and while they're fighting the war, this is when he's older, he's on the roof of his, uh, of his castle, of his, 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 his castle, uh, and, and he looks, he's just checking stuff out, and he sees this woman bathing, you know, and he thinks she's beautiful, and he must have her, so he sends somebody to, go, to bring her, and he lays with her. Uh, and, and she was a married woman. It's a very terrible, terrible story uh, of the life of David. And it doesn't even stop there. 
David actually, uh, Uzziah was the man's name, her husband's name. And, and he was very dedicated to David. He was one of his uh, well-known warriors. He was one of the commanders. He was very high up in the army. And he comes home, you know, because they're coming to tell him news. And, and, and David says to bring Uzziah with them. So he comes. And, and, and that's fine. And David is, is uh, encouraging him to go home, you know, go. But he can't, he, 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 he won't, he can't, you know. All those men, all of his men are fighting in, in battle. And he wants, he wants me to go home and lay with my wife to enjoy it while my compatriots, while my, while my military is falling and dying. I can't do that. So he sleeps on the footsteps of the castle. That's where he stays. So he doesn't go home. He's not with his wife. Because Bathsheba, sorry, Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so David's trying to get Uzziah home to sleep with his wife so that he can just assume that it's his baby. But that doesn't happen. He doesn't go home. He refuses to. And, and so David's kind of stuck at an impasse, you know, because all this thing's going to be f found out. So he has uh, one of his generals put Uzziah in a very precarious place in the battle where it's inevitable that he'll die. And he did. He was killed. Essentially, David murdered him. Murdered him after he had committed adultery with his wife. Anyway, it's, a, it's one of the, you know, black marks of his life, no question. Uh, and he admits that, you know, uh, he is contrite about it later. Uh, you know, he wasn't perfect. But um, Nathan the prophet, a very faithful prophet in that time, later comes to him. And, you know, they're just because they would they would confer about various things. And so Nathan's kind of telling him what's going on. You know, some things are going on. And he tells him the story. It's very similar to David's story. Very similar. Uh, but he tells him something basically the exact, very well, similar. And, and David gets irate. He's enraged. He's got a righteous indignation. He should be enraged. Wait a minute. You're telling me this guy slept with this, guy, uh, this guy's wife and then had him killed? You know, do what? Destroy him. He must die. And Nathan says, thou art the man. David, David doesn't know he's talking about him. But Nathan, this is what convicts David. And then David later writes, writes a psalm, and he says, Against you, O Lord, and against you only have I sinned. And that's not true. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uzziah. But what he's saying is, the primary one, the only one you know, whom I sin against, in order to even be perceived to be sin against anybody else, the first one when we sin is sinning against him. Even if, it's, if I'm unfaithful, if I were to be unfaithful with Sarah, that's obviously sinning uh, against her. However, it's sinning against God first, and that's what he's saying. Anyway, sorry, I said that whole long story to really, this is what the rulers should have remembered. They should have recognized, and, and, and Peter's pointing out, you crucified him, you did this, to, you know, and you see what's going on here, and they're still denying. They're still denying. Anyway, uh, uh, verse 16. Oh, we already read verse 16. So, found in their, really, their stupefied ignorance, you know, and their, 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 uh, their really willful unbelief. Their, their, I mean, nothing could be more, nothing should be more, um, nothing should lead more to faith than this. I mean, these men are on trial. These, these men are putting these prophets on trial for a good deed they did, for a miracle. This not only shouldn't be standing trial, this should be commended. This should be encouraged. There should be a parade going on. And please keep on doing this. I want to, we want to see the wonderful works of God. Let's keep on doing this. That's not what they're doing. 
They're in their dark unbelief. And that's what persecutes the church. You want to know what Christianity is? This is what Christianity is. It's the bold proclamation of Christ and persecution that that comes with. They hated him. They will hate us. They hated him first. They will hate us as well. And we'll see what their uh, response to that was. Um, all right. Verse uh, 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten his name. Uh, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no man, to no man in his name. Again, so they can't deny the miracle. They can't deny anything that happened. But in order to still stop the spread of the church and to stop the spread of the proclamation of, uh, uh, of and witness of Jesus, let's command them and threaten them uh, uh, not to speak in their name anymore. So, uh, verse 18, So they called them and commanded them not to speak or, and, uh, at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Uh, well, let's look at uh, verse 19 as well. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. So the command from this council to these men is an impossible command. It's, it's an impossible command. The, the, the apostles couldn't. This is what their life is. They spent all this time with this Jewish rabbi. He died, remember, and they were all sad. Then he was risen, and then he ascended. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm just supposed to not talk about that. I'm just supposed to kind of keep that, talk, you know. And God, and Christ commanded me, and God commanded me, and so it's. I mean, basically, you're commanding me not to do what God commanded, you know. So you judge whether or not it's uh, better to listen to you or to God. And remember, I've said this before. Christ and God is the ultimate authority. If if anybody, if anybody, we're supposed we're supposed to. Uh, uh, appeal and 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 acquiesce to uh, even civil authority. We're supposed to be good citizens. You'll see in uh, Justin Martyr's uh, apology, his first apology, he goes on to say that, like you know, because they were the church was uh, um, accused of sedition, basically, and for various reasons, which we'll look at. But but what he's saying is. We're all good citizens, you know. We all keep the speed limit. We, we all pay our taxes. We all, you know, we're not seditious. Anyway, um, but but if any authority commands you to do that which God forbids, or forbids you to do that which God commands, you disobey. Even if it's your husband, even if it's your wife, even if it's your father, even if it's your father, no matter who it is. Oh yeah. Also, the healed man. <laughs> you imagine him. <laughs> Wait a minute. So I've been lame since birth, and now I've been healed. You imprisoned me, and I'm just supposed to shut up about this. <laughs> I'm just not supposed to talk about this amazing miracle and and the transformation and life that uh, that he has given me. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, I wrote, "Can a man taste of living water and not share with those who thirst?" I mean, that'd be impossible. Um, verse twenty. For we cannot speak. Uh, we, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Remember, in the rebirth series, when we looked at uh, um, uh, Christ and Nicodemus talking to each other, and, and Christ even says, "We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen." That's what they're doing. They know because, uh, first of all, Christ was teaching them even after his uh, uh, resurrection, and the Spirit has come, so all their understanding is full. I mean, you know, fuller. Uh, but but um, that's that's what's going on. 
Um, uh, yeah, so they know and what they've seen and what they've heard. Let's do verse 21 and 22 together. So when they had uh, further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God what, uh, what had, uh, for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, uh, which we had already seen in our last one. Uh, so they're still threatening. They're still threatening. We'll see in later custodies, it's not only threatening. And what they're threatening, though, is death. Look, remember, and even Peter's saying, you crucified him. So that's, they're facing the same deal. They're facing the same <laughs> probability, not even possibility. They know the fate. They know what's going to come. And they're bold. They're, they're, <laughs> they're bold witnesses. Yeah, uh, so they're threatening them with death. And we'll see later how they're delivered from that. But this, this is the first persecution of the church, which doesn't um, end with any harm to the apostles but we'll see that starts to grow and starts to grow they're beaten they're many terrible things but we'll see that uh as days go as uh, this series goes along um all right verse 23 and being let go they went to their own companions and reported uh, all that the chief priests and elders had said to them okay the scene's shifting okay let's remember the beginning of christ's ascension to, and then the, his command to tarry in Jerusalem, wait for the coming of the Spirit. The Spirit comes on Pentecost, okay, on the day of Pentecost. The numbers, number grows, that faithful ser sermon of, of Peter. And then, in the last chapter, a lame man is healed. They're persecuted for it. And now this scene shifts to them going back to their brothers and sisters, to them going back to the con congregation, them going back to the church, and there, and you will see by their response. We'll see in other responses uh, later down the road. They're they're rejoicing over suffering for the cause of Christ. They're rejoicing that God has counted them worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. That's our greatest weapon. That's the only sword we wield. It's the name of Christ, and his, it's His truth. But persecution and suffering. Uh, early. Theologian and early church historian, I think it was uh, Eusebius, it could have been Irenaeus. Anyway, they said, they said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, I don't agree. Like, I see Christ as the seed of the church and maybe the, the martyrs of the, the garden. But either way, what he's saying is the, the seed of the, the, I mean, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The growth of the church has largely been filled and fed by the blood of the martyrs. Suffering in the church has always read, uh, has more often than not, anyway, led to revival, led to a stronger uh, ministry of the church. Um, verse 24 So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. They're all praying as one. It's all a voice of one accord. It's not just one person, they're all praying together. And they say, Lord, your God, who made heaven and, and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They're starting with, okay, there are two different, we have general revelation and we have special revelation. General revelation is God's revelation of himself in nature. The, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth, uh, his firmament, 
and 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 you, you again that's what we're kind of looking at there so general revelation is his revelation in nature in world and you know in all these things special revelation is the bible okay so they start though with your god who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them that's general revela revelation and he's and they're not praying this to teach god anything god already knows this they're praying to praise him for it okay so they start Again, they start with God. They don't start with Jesus. They start with God as the creator of all things. And then, then they go to special revelation. And we're going to actually read uh, this psalm, the whole psalm, uh, for the conclusion. So we're just going to kind of introduce it here. Uh, Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, uh, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his uh, Christ. The word there, Lord, is uh, kurios, uh, it's the, the Greek word for, for Lord, and it's actually the equivalent of Yahweh. So remember that I am, the Yahweh is the title of Christ, uh, I mean, the title of God that he gave to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses is asking, you know, if they ask me, who, who, what's his name? What do I say? I am that I am, that's Yahweh, that's kurios, that's Lord. Okay, I remember when I was talking about uh, uh, the, uh, the coin and the image on the coin, and Christ, you know, had been tested with the image on the coin. Remember that? And he says, whose image is it? Anyway. Uh, on the back, on the back, it would say uh, um, Kaiser Curios. So Caesar is Lord. Now, Lord, in that sense, could just be master. And people were fine with that. Christians, the early church was fine with that. They're more than happy to call a master in the earthly tense, master. But once they started the cultic practice of worshiping the emperor, then it took on a new meaning. And, they, and that's why they were uh, charged with sedition, because they wouldn't worship and they would never proclaim Kaiser Curios. They would say, Jesus ho Curios, Jesus is Lord. They, would, they could not, they could not. Again, they're being commanded to do something that God forbids. And so they can't. And that's one of the causes. Of, so I just wanted to finally finish that. <laughs> I mean, I know that was weeks ago, but there you go. Go back to verse 24. Remember, uh, Lord, you are God who made heaven and the earth and, and the sea and all that is in them. Recognize, so we, again, this is general revelation. And we're looking at necessary being, uncaused first cause, the unmoved mover, and all these abstractions. Again, that is not God. They are praying to God. They are not praying to the uncaused first cause. They're not praying to the necessary being. They're praying to God, the personal abiding uh, God. Oh, the, uh, so when he's, uh, uh, let me go, let's go ahead and do, yeah, okay, those two are together anyway. Uh, so everybody would know, everybody knew, all the Jews in that day, Jews still know that Psalm 2 is about the Messiah. Uh, you know, and we'll see that. We're going to read the whole thing. Uh, but it's about the Messiah. But notice the portion that he's uh, focusing on. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the... Okay, first of all, why? Very good question. Uh, <laughs> why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? First of all, that the nations rage and then the people plot. They're plotting against God. They're plotting against the, uh, all that he has to do with. And they come together to plot. And what a vain thing to go against God. What a weird, <laughs> strange, I mean, nothing could be more vain. Nothing could be more helpless. Nothing could be more uh, ridiculous and absurd than to go against the all-powerful being. Uh, but, okay, 
Notice though, and, and, and we'll get into uh, Paul's account in the first chapter of Romans. We keep on talking about uh, uh, the existence of God and, and how to uh, adequately use apologetics for the conversion of people. Okay, It's very important to recognize that people do not disbelieve in God because they don't know him or don't know who he is. They disbelieve in God because they hate him. Okay, They want to refuse him. And then they, and that 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 legitimizes all of their different things. And you'll notice uh, they actually uh, will start, you know, they'll they'll even develop a moral law and moral framework for themselves that they still can't follow. But it's not that they deny that he. Ex- I mean, that's what they'll say, and that's where they. But it they hate anything to do with him. Okay, and that's what's going on here, and that's what he's saying. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot and plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. All the leaders of the earth are taking their stand. And the rulers were gathered together. They're all meeting to, They're all united in this one cause against God, against the Lord and against his Christ. So again, the, ruler, the kings of the earth took their stand. He's saying everybody. The Protestant, the, the Reformed theologians, will, they have a tendency to blame uh, the, uh, the Romans, on, on the crucifixion of Christ because they see the Jews as, uh, as our brothers, which is fine. I, I mean, that's not, not necessary, but that's fine. Uh, the Roman Catholics will typically blame the Jews because they're under the Roman banner now, so they don't want to blame the Romans. <laughs> well, really, it's the whole world. They were both involved, but the Gentiles, it speaks of the Gentiles being involved. Uh, the whole world was is united against him. So all of them. All right, verse 27. For truly against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Again, this, yes, they crucified him. But again, to do whatever your hand to God and your purpose determined before to be done. That is what God is doing. Yes, the whole world is set against him, but that's what he's planned. That's, his, that's part of his plan of salvation, which we'll look at. Uh, and in and, and other categories at, at uh, various times down the road. Uh, verse 29. Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak to your word. They are not praying for deliverance. They are not asking for safety. They are not, they are not asking to be saved from the, the sword of these evil people. They are praying for boldness. Necessary boldness to continue to witness of Christ. Verse 30, by, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name, again, there it is, of your holy servant Jesus. So they're asking, first of all, for boldness and then continue to work, continue to do. Remember, in the beginning of Acts, he's saying, remember the former account I made uh, to thee, O Theophilus, of everything Jesus both began to do and to teach. And he's continuing to do. And now his apostles are teaching, but he's continuing to do. And that's what they're praying for. Continue your work. Continue. Um, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled excuse me, together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Remember, the whole house shakes. The whole house is filled, and the whole, therefore all the people are filled. And would that God would shake this house. Would that God that would shake our souls and waken us to his fire, to his burning, to his uh, uh, proclamation, his witness. All right. 
Let's go ahead, and y'all can turn to it too. Let's go ahead and read chapter or, uh, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress in them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Lest Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry uh, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Okay. Now, I'm, we're not, okay. Gosh, wish we had more time. We'll look at this more. Let's just notice a few things first. So we already kind of discussed the first two verses. Verse three, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. They're trying to discard themselves from God. They see, they see God's commands shackles. They see them as they see themselves as prisoners of God, and they'll you know because and we'll look at that some other time. But notice uh, if you go down to verse nine, so they're they're saying, "Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us." And then in verse nine, he uh, God the Father is speaking to to Christ, uh, his Son, and he says, "You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces." like a potter's vessel. So they're all wanting to break away from him. And he's saying, you are given judgment over the earth and you will dash them to pieces. You will, you will uh, break them with a rod of iron. Uh, verse four, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. These people are plotting against him. Again, a vain thing, a foolish thing. And God in heaven laughs at them. He laughs at them. He finds it just as silly. It's just as ridiculous, and he holds them in derision, uh, and he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. That's Christ, and now that's why it was necessary that he goes for his culmination, for his glorification. You know, and and he sits at the right hand of God. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, "You are my son." Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the inheritance, or I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Remember, that's what Christ had commanded to tarry in Jerusalem, spread out into all Judea, spread out to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth because it's all mine. And there it is. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. He's, telling, he's saying, you know, again, all these kings, all these rulers, all these judges are... Uh, pressed together to plot against him. And now he's saying, be wise. Don't be fools. Don't, don't be, don't, you know, don't interest yourself in such a vain, purposeless thing. Uh, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. See, again, a lot of people will just say that that fear is, is uh, really, <laughs> it's, a, it's a high degree of considering God. I can't think of the word. Why can't I think of the word? Anyway, huh? Yeah, reverence. Thank you. They think it's a, it's just a deep sense of reverence where I, I think it is sometimes. But again, I think that's why it's necessary to have a right fear of God. We are safe as his children. 
but we still need to know who we're talking to. Again, he's not our daddy in the sky. He's not the cosmic Santa Claus. He's the God who is, above all things. All right. Um, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Now, <laughs> that that could sound a little pedantic, uh, you know, and and a little rude, right? Uh, he's commanding to be kissed. He's commanding that his son be kissed, or else he'll get angry. Why? It's necessary. It's the love of Christ that saves us. It's the condemnation we already have. It's coming to Him that saves us. All right. And again, I, 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 we need to do this another time. And you perish in the way. Remember, His way uh, is life. Uh, when His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in Him. Again, that's and that's what all we're going to do this time. But we are going to look at that more in times to come. Uh, and again, you know, I want to, uh, again, let's recognize, first of all, this is the first persecution of the church, okay? But let's notice the response. They're, again, they don't pray for safety, they don't pay, pray for deliverance, they don't pray for even, you know, a bunch of happiness and all this kind of a thing. I mean, they, they are happy to suffer for the cause of Christ. They're, they're in joy because they are in Christ, it's not their circumstances that change that. It's not, it's not you know, <laughs> they're in Christ, and so they have joy. They don't need to pray for joy. But they are also in joy and in, in, in much uh, rejoicing through suffering. James, let's go ahead and turn to James. That is in the New Testament. We're just going to look at the uh, first chapter, um, verse 2 and 3. My brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So again, rejoice when you suffer. Rejoice when you have trials and tribulations because the testing of your faith, anything, that, anything that's testing your faith only produces patience, only strengthens your faith. If you see it that way, you can just see it as the world coming against you. That is not who God is. and That is not the Christ you serve. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. Not only should you embrace them, and not only should you learn to live with them, you should rejoice in them. You should thank God for them. That strengthens your faith. Persecution, again, is absolutely great for the church, actually. It's wonderful for the church. The church gets fat on its laurels and lazy when she's not persecuted. They start building up into different programs and different ministries for different causes that have nothing to do with Christ. So I think persecution uh, can be a beautiful thing for the church. A great and mighty fortress is the name of our great Lord, a refuge from the torches and the world's assaulting sword. Our God, we pray for boldness to witness to thy son. When the world is at its coldest, may we be thy flame as one. And when all the storms of lifeless men impale the church's mast, be the voice to save within and turn us to thee fast that all our heavy sorrows are lifted, lifted thee upon, that any dark tomorrows be the light of today's song, that all our strifes and fears may be laid upon thy name, that all our, that all our joyful tears might be risen in the same. All right. Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the Book of Acts.
Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.